The temperature is nice and warm in the Boiling Point Podcast studio, so come on in, get cozy, and let's enjoy the conversation. We empower leaders through thoughtful discussions to positively impact our world. Our host, Dave Vale, founder and CEO of Vision Coaching, Inc., is highlighting how we can thrive in business communities. Our conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, and inspirational storytellers are shining a spotlight on empowerment. Joining Dave this week is our special guest host, Emily Roger. Let's join the conversation with Dave and Emily. Okay, welcome. Happy listeners to The Boiling Point. I am here with my co-host, Emily Roger, and uh, we're going to introduce our guest right away. We're going to do it a little differently this time, and it's um, someone who's known to the listeners of The Boiling Point, Dr. Bill Howitt. And Bill and I uh, co-hosted a series of of podcasts. We had a lot of fun doing that, Bill, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to having a conversation with you today. Thank you. So good to be back with you all. And I don't know if uh, if I've lost my radio voice or not, so we'll see. Oh, sounds great. Sounds great. Um, what we wanted to do, though, when we talked a little bit before we started to hit record, is um, is we've, we've lost a good friend and a colleague and, a, you know, for me, I would call him mentor and a wonderful human being, Bruce McLeod, a few weeks ago. And Bruce was actually on his podcast uh, three different times, I believe. And um, he touched so many people. Um, it's, been a, it's been a tough couple of weeks. And, um, but both of you knew and, and loved him as well. And uh, I'd love to, you know, I've been, what's been really cathartic for me is just hearing from other people about you know, Bruce and, and how he touched them. I just wonder if you, you guys would be willing to share, you know, what your experience of Bruce was. After you, Emily. Yeah, it's, um, and Bruce is one of those people that, you know, his legacy he, he claimed was to change the world with coaching. And I think that he really has, and he certainly changed my life um, from the very first time I met him and my first encounter with him was having him as my executive coach. And then he became, um, a teacher through Royal Roads university and just a really solid friend and, uh, very much a father figure in my life in so many ways. And I mean, like him and I were so close to the point that like when my documentary came out, he was the first person I shared it with. When I caught a big salmon, I would mail him the flies like, and it, uh, thinking back on the last episode that we recorded with him, where the title of it was, why won't you tell me what to do, Bruce? And for him as my coach, that's, I would always jokingly say, because knowing he wouldn't give me the answer of like, Bruce, just tell me what to do. And now more than ever since he's gone, is that like appreciation of thank you for never telling me what to do. And instead like helping me draw out within myself what it is that I ultimately want and that like I am fully capable. And it's like just these gifts that he gave me just by being him, by being curious, by being coach-like, by leading with his giant heart is a gift and something that is a part of me forever. And just what a blessing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's, uh, that's, uh, you know, I sit here and listen to you and watch it. It's clear that you do have a lot of respect for Bruce. So that's nice. I think I will be a little bit brief because that's one of the things I really enjoyed about Bruce is his brevity and his clarity. I think what I when I think about Bruce, I think about humility. 
But I also think he's he was a coach's coach in regards to he was interested in how people learned to experience themselves. So I was always curious in how he was able to observe people. And I don't know if I mean we have we come from different backgrounds of how we both ended up in coaching, but he he was a he was a teacher's teacher around coaching. He actually got the joke what coaching really is. And sadly, I think a lot of people would have a long way to go to actually understand what coaching really is through the eyes of Bruce. Yeah, yeah well said, both of you. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, um, he would be the guy that as we navigate, <clears throat> you know, the emotional side and then also the business side, we, we did a lot of work together. You know, he, I, I catch myself thinking, you know, I should call Bruce, you know, you know what I mean? Like, he's the guy I would call, right? Mm. Like, he would, and, and my best story, and, I, and I'm, I'm starting, I think, get through the grieving process because I'm starting to have more laugh, like like laughing about some of the things that he and I would experience together because a lot of it was around, there's a lot of laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he gosh, there's so many stories um, about just, like I phoned him once and I, and he, 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 he I was, I was, thought I lost a client that I'd been trying to, you know, we had developed over eight years. And I just had a really bad moment, a really bad time um, in a call. And it went, it, I won't even go into it, the details, but I, the first person I called was Bruce. And I said, and I was, he picked up and he goes, hey, what's wrong? And so I started to tell him and he goes, well, that's it? Like he goes, I thought, I thought someone's getting <laughs> children. You know what I mean? Like he just had a way and I, we just started laughing, right? And because uh, and, he basically, I was, I was overreacting. And he, he had his way of, of helping me understand them, but 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 in a, such a, a Bruce-like way. So he'll be deeply missed, and um, and I I was uh, I was honored to speak at his funeral, and I just um, I just feel for his family. But I think the best thing I believe I could do is is um, you know carry on what Bruce would want us all to do, which is go out there and help support people. Yeah, so, amen. Yeah, we had a we had a drink. We would toast him right now. We don't. Um, have a coffee, <laughs> um, and, uh, and I, so so thank you both for doing that. It's just it's really important, and I um, I just feel like it would just be weird to, to start recording and not talk about Bruce. Mm. Um, and I don't, John, you have you, I, you you've been you were on a, a number of, of of podcasts with Bruce. Yeah, uh, and actually through your work, um, Dave, I had the opportunity to actually be his tech support for some of the private training that he offered and um so i kind of got to see two sides of where he was kind of talking about some really good concepts and seeing the relationship you know between yourself and emily and and then also i saw the other side of where he was you know being a coach and not just being a coach but teaching others how to use coaching um which was a really it's the first time actually for me and and it's funny because i've dave we've had a working relationship for a while but doing that with the first time i actually sat through a session of uh someone explaining how to use coaching and it was specifically for nonprofits. um and it was you know his approach to it was just kind of really eye-opening of wow i never thought of that perspective and how he worked with people and coached them is it was an awesome experience. I was very saddened to, to learn. Um, but, um, you know, it was amazing experience just being able to see the good that he brought into the world. Amen. Amen. Yeah. His, his, um, and, one, one last thing I would just mention is that 
when I got with his funeral, his uh, his his two, you know, well, you know, maybe a little younger than me, um, people that were attending were looking over and they they like it seemed like they knew me. And so finally I went over and they said, Are you are you Dave? And I said, Yeah, I said, oh we we um we we watched and listened to a podcast that uh, Uncle Bruce was on. It's his niece and his nephew. And they said that was him. That was him. So for people that want to who didn't know him maybe or people that did know him and would like to to to, to get to know him better, I'd encourage you to go back and watch some of the podcasts. Um because uh you know that's that's who he was. Yeah. The the podcast specifically had had difficult conversations. I cannot count how many clients I have like I'm like, listen to the everybody needs to listen to that podcast episode. You know what else people need to do is they need to read this very cool book that has been published very recently and it's called No Regrets. And I think it kind of I I believe it ties into um, in, into you know honoring Bruce as well, but um, Bill Howitt wrote this great book, "How to Live Today for Tomorrow's um, Emotional Well-Being," and I bet you Emily read the whole thing, right? Uh, even though she's just she's gone very she's gone very deep on her research on you, Bill. Um, I haven't the book. Uh, it's the book. Not it's not even out yet. Uh, but I'm, 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 I, got, I got an advanced copy. Am I the only one? How did you get that? Gosh, well, I, I know special people. privileges. <laughs> I sent you. I sent you the galley, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it, Bill. It was. It's a. Um, I had a chance to. Yeah, I just. I love it. You have. You have. You have such a fascinating story, like your life, and and how you how you've lived your life, and how you you know reached this place, and and to me, you role model. Uh, Bill, like just always, you know, um, you know, kind of wanting to find that better version of yourself and, and, and willing to do the hard work and the reflection and all that sort of thing, you know, and, and um, you know, recognizing that none of us are perfect. And, you know, and, and I think it sounds like part of, part of how you process stuff is writing. Mm, yeah, it is. And, um, and you've been doing this, like we first met and you sent me a, a whole, like Sparkle Kitty. Uh, <laughs> Which is a, one of your earlier self publications, and more, more recently you you are on the top ten best selling author list in Canada, I believe. Pure loneliness, um, yeah. Yeah. So and, and so it's it's um so it's a real honor to have you on talking about it. So maybe over to you to to, to tell Emily and I and and the listeners about mm. this newest book and and how it came to be. I'd be happy to. Thank you, David. So. The book will be released in October. We're pre-releases are now. People can check out what we're doing. But I think giving context to how I came across this would be helpful. So we're in a pandemic. You might have heard of it. And I think we've all gone through our experiences. My experience was maybe different than someone else's experience, but I still had my own experiences. And living, I moved to Ottawa and was, you know, starting another job, uh, you know, doing some research. I was excited about doing that and doing my little consulting business. And, you know, I was off speaking in uh, Edmonton doing a keynote somewhere and I had walked to work literally twice. I got my condo by the office so I could walk and walked up and met my team. And I thought it was kind of cool, right? So research, doing a little consulting. I was quite happy. So I said I walked twice. And when I was in Edmonton, during my talk, they started to walk around and ask if anybody was at the Toronto trade show. 
and I was kind of saying, you know, being ADHD, I said, I'll be quiet so you guys can figure out what you want to talk about. Then I'll, I'll pick up the talk if it's okay with you all. But it was about the, the COVID. We were just on the verge of everything getting locked down. So I barely got back to Nova Scotia to help out with the house a little bit to make sure they were okay. And then barely got back to Ottawa before the lockdown happened. And I had a lot of opportunity to sit with myself during a lockdown. I don't know if you've ever done that, live by yourself, new city, no friends, that kind of experience in a pandemic. We know no one. And I didn't even have a fish and a dog at that point in time. And so I had, you know, I was in a relationship the relationship, you know, was challenging because you couldn't see anybody because of the pandemic and you didn't want anyone to get caught. So it was a big transition. And what for me happened was I had to spend time with me. I'm really good at focusing on everyone else but me. <laughs> I don't know if you have that skill. I'm pretty good at it, you know. And so being a doctor, you create the illusion, you know how to help people and you help people and you kind of do a lot of stuff. But then you end up spending time with your with yourself and realize <laughs> You know, what, who do you want to become and how do you want to live? And what happened was, I think we all make micro decisions in the moment of time. You know, I've lived my entire life with ADHD and I've always sometimes when I'm under pressure, I can be somewhat reactive by times. And I was learning that there was a Dr. Bill part of me and there was a Bill part of me and they were kind of never really connected. It was, it was an interesting experience. So you had to show up and, you know, like I said, great delusion, you know, something. So people, you know, trust you and all that. And I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but then the inside in your own personal life, you needed to deal with that incongruency of who you actually wanted to be to who you were actually showing up to be. See, I have a picture in my head of how I wanted to behave, but I was missing the mark. And then I went, went through, and one of the things I started to realize, Dave, is I went through a relationship, lost a relationship while I was in Ottawa. And from that experience with stuff happening at home, I realized I had all this regret about all the stuff that was making mistakes. And I was realizing, wow, this is what languishing feels like. This is what, you know, I know what having a mental illness is because I lived with one my entire life. But mental illnesses are somewhat different in regards to, because I actually create what's called interpersonal disruption of how your thoughts and feelings roll. But languishing is not a mental illness. It's just a, that kind of blob, like things you can't, you never, you don't get the same level of joy out of things that you show up. And I realized that, you know, I had done two books before and it kind of landed on me. And if you know me, people who know me, you certainly know me too well enough, David. I never started off to create a trilogy on languishing. I wrote one book called the one we did a podcast on stop hiding, which was my life story from being adopted, failing grade two and that kind of stuff. But one thing holds a lot of people in languishing is fear. So I created a methodology to help people in that. And then during the pandemic, I started to know it was isolation, authentic connections. Well, why a lot of people are struggling is the absence of social connections because social connections is the registry you do to get out of your fight or flight response. People are trapped in their mid-brain brain or fight or flight. The, the cure to that, the algorithm of that is having meaningful relationships to trust and your value. So uh, relationships. Well, isn't it interesting, someone who's a cognitive behavioral therapist who was trained a lot in how to help people change their belief system of thinking, never spent a lot of time in emotional well-being. And what happened for me is the amount of pure strain I was observing in others. In my clinical practice, 
haven't seen as much suicide, domestic violence, fear, all the stuff was going on in the pandemic. And then my own situation, I just became very aware that emotional literacy is something I did not spend a lot of time thinking about. And I wanted to really take my own personal situation and try to have some impact and try to simplify this for people. And then I started to think about, okay, how many people are struggling with emotions now? And what are some of the most powerful emotions that hold people back? And fear of not being good enough is one. When you fear of not being good enough, that can actually create the system in your belief that you're not allowed to make mistakes. And if you do make mistakes and you're caught in that perfection, you live in a world of shame. And when you're caught in shame, you never have the chance to have empathy for yourself or anyone else. And then I was doing, as I started to get in and look at all the different emotions, the one that kept jumping up for me was regret. So I started to do literature review and I started studying it. And I started to realize it's the most powerful transformational emotion we have. So what happens is when we have, what regret is, there's two types. And it's important for you to understand that. Regret is, for example, if I'm in a relationship with you, and you're my, in my case, my impulsivity does something for my interpersonal disruption because I have an executive function issue that creates interpersonal disruption, I'd often walk away and go, God, why did I say that? When you do something with your action, you set something back, and you play it back in your head and you lost something. Regret is what people get stuck in. And regret can paralyze people. They can stay in regret for many, many years. They can either replay it over and over. They can fantasize how they could have done it different. Or they go self-medicate and spend a lot of time trying to change themselves. So get make our mistakes. Now, when that happens, you have an opportunity to learn from your mistakes and grow. That's transformation. And regret when people have setbacks or things they've done and they can own them and learn how to move through it can be really powerful. The most damaging type of regret is a person who feels they got trapped by life and they didn't go to university, for example. They didn't do that trip. Or they didn't have that time. And then time runs out, like our good friend Bruce. Like, like, like Bruce, I'm not suggesting had something, but in our case, he's a young man. And if he said, I'm going to wait till I'm 70 to go to Australia. And he might regret, you know, if he knew that something was going to happen, none of us really know when our time is up. But if we never had that opportunity to do things we wanted to, that's one of the hardest things human beings have at the end of their life is the regret of not doing something like a relationship with a child. You never got along. The regret that we didn't fix that is one or the regret of not saying what you really felt or you loved mm-hmm. So when we get stuck in that, so that's where my mind started. I took my own personal experience, David, and, and, and I decided to write the book like all my other books. No Regret is written in a way, it's a non-clinical book, but it's writ- written in a way to educate what regret is and to provide five ingredients that can help a person move through it. Some of it's going to be, how do you navigate your brain? Like, I don't think most human beings know we have between 40 and 60,000 thoughts a day. And they may actually understand how our basal ganglia or how our habit center influences. So what I want to do is to provide people like a remote control. Like I, there's only two buttons on a remote control I know how to use. All the other ones, like I know they do something. But if, if the TV doesn't go on or off or change the channel, I don't know what to do. 
Well, it's the same thing with our brain. There's a lot of buttons we may not understand. And so I wanted to give a simple landscape in lay speak of how the brain works. So people can have some more control how to navigate their motion system, how a neuroplasticity of how when our thoughts and our emotions wire together, that creates programming. Then I want to teach something about the midbrain, how to deal with your emotions. I want to teach something about our thinking. But I also think it's a reputation. Like, how do we want to be remembered? Every morning when we wake up and we say, you know, who do we want to be? Now, we're going to have moments for sure. Like the book, when we say no regrets, it's kind of impossible not to have regrets because we're going to have them. But I, but I wanted to, to say that we don't have to live in them. Mm. We don't have to be paralyzed by them. Once we notice them, we can deal with them. But we're not perfect, Dave, but we are going to make mistakes. But I do appreciate, you know, you're right. I, I consider myself a walking experiment. Not a perfect one, by the way, but a, a walking experiment. And I, the more I realize that I get to choose who I want to be, regardless of anyone else wants me to be that person or not, that's, that's moving towards who I want to become. And that's why I, I write these books. Well, and, well Emily, what you, I'm guessing, I think that's a very good uh, overview uh, for me that has kind of makes me want to um, go through it again. Um, what, what is, what is, what's coming up in the industry? I know you listen to today talk about the book. Well, Bruce wouldn't tell me what to do, but I feel like Dr. Bill's going to. <laughs> and so, so in that moment of a regret comes up. So you say up to 60,000 thoughts come in our brain. Like how many of those are negative? 80%. That's wild. And so when that thought comes up, like what is, I mean, there's so many different forms of therapy and all that kind of stuff. What is your way of stopping that thought of regret and switching it? Yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. And so it starts a little bit of basic. See, we have a negativity bias. Many of us don't realize this. You have a part of your brain called a neuro, what's called a neuro default network. And what it actually does is looks for a threat response. And then part of it, what it is, you're always looking for things that could be right or wrong. And another part of your brain that's in your basal ganglion called the reptilian activating system. So we're constantly habitually, many of us, on an alarm system worrying about what could hurt us. So it's kind of like, Emily, if I go to you, you're good, you're good, you're good, you suck. What do you put more weight on? The four good? I suck. Or the one negative? And so we're really, really quick at learning what can put us at risk. And so you put your hand in the stove, you burn it. So the first thing to get, answer your question is we have to start to notice what we own in our own experience. And so part of regret is that it's not, not anything I can do with your actions. So if you and I were going together and we were dating, the formula behind that is you choose me, I choose you. If you unchoose me because I did something, or just choose because of something else. I could regret that all the stuff I could have done, perhaps so you wouldn't have, you know, unchose me. Mm -hmm. Step one is actually noticing what you can control and noticing what you can't control. So I can control that I made a mistake or I slipped or I had emotionally overwhelmed, you know, the breakup I went through, I played replayed in my head a thousand times. 
it was only after about a year of therapy and going on medication, I finally go, oh, cripes, right. Yeah, they had emotions in this too. And that was their experience potentially. And so what happens is you spend a lot of time, most of us in our own eye language. We have to work through that. But it, regardless of how anything happens in their life, it, to do with regret, is, is whatever the stimulus response, we always have choice. So first step, we have to notice what regret is. It's an emotion. It's an unpleasant emotion. And an unpleasant emotion is at a genetic level is installed in us like fear, anger, shame. All these emotions are critical for our survival. In fact, in our society, many of us actually have been conditioned to live a life where we're supposed to be happy all the time. Unpleasant emotions are transient. They come and they go. Pleasant emotions are transient. They come and go. But to be a healthy human being, we have to learn how to live well when we're feeling unwell. Those unpleasant emotions aren't our enemy. Yeah. They're actually our teachers and our protectors. So, so to get you notice it, you have to know what it is. And then you have to decide what are the competencies I need, skills I need to move from dysregulation to interregulation. See, human beings that often come and see me in my office, many of them don't have mental illnesses. They're, they're caught in, like mental health is from your, 80% of it's from your eyes down, it's your physiology. So if your nervous system's activated and you have adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine flying through your body, your body can actually be at a whack. Your vagus nerve, many people have no idea what that is. So when your system neurology is hyperactive, then, then once we can get people, okay, this is what's happened. This is what my body's doing. Then I need to be able to Emily start to make decisions. And the reality is the truth is no one can tell you how you're feeling or what you're feeling. You have to know how to name your own emotions. And then you have to determine, do I believe confident? Because we, when we tell people, you know, suck it up, buttercup, or just get well, or you'll be fine. That, that doesn't change the experience. I often believe that many people have to get a set of skills to be able to learn how to regulate their emotions. And so if you can teach people to actually step one using a simple one is if I can start becoming aware of what's happening to me, then I can choose my response. And then I could be open to the possibility of what their experience is involved in it and become curious, not only what I'm feeling, but actually while I'm feeling it, be curious about what they're feeling while you're feeling it. So you can seek to understand their experience in this too. So you can move a little bit from your emotional brain to your cognitive brain that can help ease your physiology. And there's a bunch of techniques you can teach people. But I, there is no B12 shot for managing emotion. There's no quick fix for it. But there is practice we can do to learn how to better self-regulate. Yeah. And we all have endless opportunities to practice it. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, my mom's a, <clears throat> a therapist. And so I grew up learning this kind of stuff. And I am like... Thank you, God, for that. And I don't know how people get through life without it. The amount of times where, 
yeah, like somebody could so easily go into that victim role or that something is against them or the world is against them. And, um, and excuse me, not being able to own our own emotions and then just knowing what to do with the 60,000 plus thoughts, 80% of which are negative that are going through our mind on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I say 80%, now some people may be a little better, but 60% of our population's language, one out of five of our population has a mental illness. Out of the one in five, 70% of that population doesn't know they actually have a mental illness or, or a stigma or stuck. One out of seven of our population are neurodivergent that we don't actually bring into the inclusion conversation on a level that I like to see right now. And then if you start thinking about the challenges of being a human being, dealing with the constant volatility that people are getting hit by and the amount of uncertainty that people are getting hit by. It, it's, it's an interesting time that I think you're, you're seeing, and I've seen things you might be seeing folks seeing too, is that I think people felt, for example, the great resignation. I think that's a great example of the amount of regret that's pent up that people are actually unregretting. In other words, what I mean by that is I'm regretful I'm in a job I don't like. I'm regretful that I have to commute every day. I'm regretful that I, and the fear that kept me there was money. But the circumstances, fatigue and growth, through post-traumatic growth, people have grown and learned. And so I think people are doing value clarification and resetting. And the regret of doing something that may not feel authentic, they're going, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. So I think we're in a, that's why this book, I believe, is really timely is because I think a lot of people now are resetting their compass. And they're trying to, the things that were holding them back, maybe we're all realizing that we're here for a very short period of time. There are no parades. Trust me. I tried. I mean, I, mean, I, I was saying to Dave one day, I think he probably gets a joke. I said, I, you know, I, I did eight degrees and I, I eventually realized that, you know what? I'm never going to be able to write a sentence like everyone else. And so I think what happens is you start to realize that I'm good enough as I am. And we all have a different level, the challenge to find that, you know, and I, if someone said to me the other day, said, Bill, oh my God, you, you know, you do so much. And someone was giving me a compliment and I go, oh my God, do you realize like how hard it was for me just to show up today? I barely have her together today. So don't give me too much credit. Like I'm just like everybody else. Yeah. Trying to keep the wheels on the road. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. You know what's, um, <clears throat> I've been listening to you, Bill, and, 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 and actually back with you and Emily, I was just thinking of, um, 
how lucky we all are to do what we do for a living. And, and, I, and but that, you know, you know, you know, you know your, your work goes in, I would say, deeper in clinical build and on the coaching front. Yep. Is this is an opportunity to focus on someone else. And it's actually, it's, I learned so much. And it's like sometimes I'm thinking, I can't believe people are paying me to do this because I'm benefiting from it so much from someone else's experience. Yeah. And it, and then I can't help but after every coaching session, you know, not maybe every coaching session, but a lot of times thinking it's interesting, you know, where that person worked through and how they're working through this thing that for them is very courageous. And then, and I, I, I don't know if this happens to both of you, but I, I tend to go, well, what am I doing to, you know, to, to even like, if I, if I want to have impact, I got to be doing that same work. And sometimes yeah. it's exhausting because I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. I, I, I don't want, you know, and then, and, but as a result, I, I, I like, I just turned 50 and I, I can't believe the things I'm still learning about stuff. Like, um, yeah. Oh, this thing, uh, the reason I exercise all the time is it's actually to reduce my anxiety because I, I didn't realize I was a very anxious person, but it was through an experience working with the client that I went, oh, that sounds familiar. Right. So I, I don't know. It seems like a gift, does it not? I agree. And I actually, I just took two and a half weeks vacation, which is the longest time I've taken like completely away from work in a really long time. And when I got back, there was just something missing and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. And after a day of being back in my office, working with clients, I was like, this is what it is. Like I get... It just, yeah, it's constantly causing me to reflect on myself. And, you know, it's like that, that, that thing of like, we can only take our clients as far as we're willing to go ourselves. And so, um, yeah, constantly having that awareness that being curious about others, which then it's like, okay, how curious are we being with ourselves? And um, Dr. Bill, like you said about how you could so easily diagnose somebody else, but then when it comes to ourselves, it's like, oh, whoa, (laughs) that hurts. Yet we need to always be doing that. So true. I think so true. I think, and I think one of the things I'm hoping that comes out of all this pandemic and where we're moving towards and workplace mental health is that this concept, I think something you said is really important. There is no goal line for mental health. I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm talking about from flourishing to languishing. Put it simply, the percent of time I spend in positive emotions to unpleasant emotions, the loss out of ratio of 2.91 positive ratio of positive thoughts to one is the algorithm to flourishing. And we know the research being over 2000 studies done on this. We know that people can move away from learned helplessness to learned optimism, sorry, through practice and skill development, developing those habits. You see, being a happy, healthy human being is not around smiley baits all the time. It's being able to feel that who we are is good enough for who we are and to realize the vulnerability and the imperfection of being a human being and knowing how to rumble with yourself and other people in, in those moments. That, and, and, and to realize, and I think the big thing I'm trying to get organizations to realize is that you know, I do a lot of stuff, for example, in metal fitness. I was talking to a couple of large insurance companies now because I'm working on a new project. 
we're getting all kinds of wonderful support on this. And I'm saying, you know, if you start to realize what's happening, you know, it's kind of interesting. We were starting to realize through the concept, even boards are even realizing now through what's called ESGs, environment, social, and governance, that that social responsibility, for example, DI initiatives, where now people, many organizations have to do 30 hours of DI every world, every year. It's almost like it's certified, like security, getting certified. What I'm getting intrigued by is watching is how long before we start realizing that human beings like gyms, physically fit, mental fitness, emotional well-being, we have to teach people the algorithm for that. And the algorithm for emotional well-being is the environmental supports. Sure, your environment's critical, your social connections, your physical health. We know that's critical, exercise, diet, rest. But I don't know what people actually realize developing the skills to actually point yourself towards things you enjoy and giving yourself permission to make yourself important enough to take those 15 minutes is a skill. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people sitting over their lunch because they have work to do versus getting up and looking at the sky for an hour or 20 minutes or five minutes or taking their pet for a walk or calling a friend or doing some deep breathing or do a backflip or go hit a golf ball. But on demand, giving themselves permission to engage in behaviors that create positive emotions on demand. And that's missing in our culture. And until we get that in more people's experience in life, then the quest for the magic, the unicorn, the secret sauce, like, and people continue to chase some magical, mystical solution that, you know, I'm like me, I write a book. Well, that book will change my life. No. Books don't change your life. Information is useless unless we apply it, practice it, and master it. And I think that's where I'm, why I do what I do now is <clears throat> I'm trying to teach organizations now and trying to teach my clients and everybody that will choose to listen to me, there is no goal line, right? So you, like you said, like we have to sit in our own existence till the day we're done <laughs> it, and trying to get that little bit more of I'm okay with who I am. That's to me, that's the Holy grail. Um, yeah, if you, you know, if I if I take you back to, uh, to Bruce for a second and being mm -hmm. okay with who you are, um, it's funny. I was talking to a colleague, and we were done a lot of work, and, and and she said her name Amy Rupert, who's wonderful, um, master certified coach, and, and uh, had a real fondness. And she said, you know, he 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 was so comfortable with his emotion, and it's yeah. true. Because Bill or uh, Bruce would. Um, you know, like he, we'd be doing a workshop and he'd be telling a story and burst into tears, you know, and everyone <laughs> would be shocked and he would be, he'd be okay with it because, you know, so he, he just, he, 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 the power and vulnerability, right? And it was, it was really nice to watch. I got used to it. So, but I remember in Toronto, I was telling Amy about this. We did a workshop and, 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 and Bruce, you know, like, like both of you would bring his story into the, into the future. But he was he was a teacher at the end of the day, really. Right? That's what I saw him as. He kind of one of the greatest skills. Mm -hmm. um, 
and he, he brought a story about his son and about um, I think it was around judgment. And, uh, and you know, my brother's there. He's you know he's a, he's a great guy. He's affected his emotions as well. But you know, kind of we're in Toronto. We're on Bay Street. You know, it's a kind of way uh, a yeah. corporate environment. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and Bruce has a big handle handlebar mustache, and he's telling the story, <laughs> and he just completely shocked my brother. Um, and the rest of the room when he started getting emotional and crying. And, uh, but it was so powerful. And it was like, they, like they didn't see it coming. But I just, I loved, I, what I thought was to, to the point of being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. You know, it's just it's that journey, right? And part of that is if you can, I find is if I can express that authentically in any environment, then I'm, then I'm getting closer to it. But it's, it's, it's work. <laughs> it's work. That's, Boys, whatever. Yeah, as soon as I get nervous, corporate Dave comes in, and I'm, uh, you know, stiff, and and it's just it's. And this podcast has been wonderful because it's not rehearsed. You show up the best you can. Bill, we were doing another one, and my son was uh, following there and opening the door behind me, getting into the laundry room, and then recording, and you know, people see all these crazy sides of you. I I kind of think it's it's a little bit of therapy in itself. Yeah. Um, but I love that idea. And one other thing I just wanted to mention, sure. you share, you, when we're doing a podcast together, uh, that series, um, you, 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 told, you shared something and you, start, you were talking about it earlier. Um, and I just wonder how it strikes you, Emily. Uh, and you, you, compa- you said, you know, and what I find really good at Bill is you, you would say, Dave, you, um, you like that. And I said, yeah. You, you know how sometimes you're more fit than other times, right? But it's not like you're not fit and also fit. Like you didn't go to the gym one day and get fit, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like of course. And then, and then you 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 kind of stuck with this, but I went, oh, it was like a, a light bulb moment for me, which was you said, well, your mental health is the same thing. There's your degrees of being mentally healthy, of, you know, depending on physiology, you know, all these things, the environment, mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, the relationship with your, your life partner, is all these things. Yep. And I, I really, that was the first time I ever thought of it that way. And I, it was really helpful um, perspective and paradigm to think through because I can appreciate that about my physical health, you know, depending on how hard I'm training or injury. Uh, Emily's just gone through a stress fracture. So, but, Emily, have you ever thought of that on mental health, on mental health side? Like maybe you have, but I, for me, it was, it was really uh, like, ah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I have. And the way that I have thought about that is because, especially when I was racing full time and racing at the elite level of kind of train and using kind of having my training plan almost done around like as a woman, like my cycle and where my hormone levels are and stuff like that. And then obviously it's like, okay, if my hormones are super high, if I, it's, if it's like menstruation and Obviously, I am emotionally a little bit more on edge and just being okay with that Mm -hmm. and learning different ways of managing it. The same as I would learn different ways of managing about like when I'm going to be racing, depend on depending on where my hormone levels are at and um, and being open to those conversations instead of just acting like those things don't exist. And then with training, it's like, yeah, I can have peak fitness but I can't carry that on forever. Like there needs to be a time where I need to actually allow my body to rest. And 
that's not just one rest day. <laughs> like That's not like you need more than that. And with that, and so for like emotions or mental health, or if I'm going through some hardships of, for me, it's just kind of allowing myself that space to just take things more slowly and, and own that and know that there is strength in that. Um, and even hearing, you know, you speak earlier, um, Bella, just about like the positivity and, um, and how, and that suck it up buttercup kind of mentality of like when something happens and I'll take myself and, and my first accident to Bill, I was hit by a car a couple of times, but the first time it was this thing of, yeah, I just need to suck it up. I just need to get back. I'm going to show up as positive. I'm going to do all of these things. And it was just toxic. Mm-hmm. Instead of just allowing myself to feel like, no, this just freaking sucks right now. But what am I going to do with the suck? And how am I going to move out of it instead of, yeah, whether it was like kind of positive toxicity from other people and saying like, oh, you're good, you're fine, get back out there, all those kind of things. Um, But really just giving ourselves the permission to feel and permission to own our emotions so that we then can work through them. Otherwise it's like, might as well put ourselves in Hollywood and be acting. <laughs> like It's not real life. Maybe, maybe a lot, you know, maybe that's the challenge, right? A lot of people ask and, um, you know, just, you know, books like you're sharing build and help people get to the, the core self. I think to simplify it, though, for me, the one thing I've tried, I don't know how this will land for either one of you. I had a good friend the other day, which mean as a maritimer, that could be like nine months ago. Everything's the other day. But he <laughs> said to me, um, do you know where you're, what you're moving towards today? And I sat there and I thought, and I go, wow, that's a good question for me each day. Where am I moving towards? Versus spending time focused on what's not working and spending energy focused on moving towards something that gives me meaning and purpose. It's, and I, I think by more I listen to Martin's work on learned optimism, I th- and I think about all the other training I've done, the power of having purpose, relationships, but your experiences of getting lost in things you enjoy, like everyone here said they love doing their work. Well, that puts you in flow. That creates experiences that create positive emotions. So doing things you like is really, really helpful. But being clear on your why. Why do you do what you do? And how does it help you for who you want to be in regards to you know, and it's kind of a deep question. I, I, I challenge anyone to sit there. What does a good life mean to you? And write it out. And spend a moment or two in it and say, what does a good life mean to me? And notice that you probably don't talk about money, salary, income. Because when I sit with people over the years who are perishing and passing away, or depending on it was an accident I got to or something else, they never ask me about their bank account. They asked me where my son was, my mother. They asked the questions about those critical relationships. So ultimately, we all can remember that we all need relationships with other people. I think the challenge, and this is where my big epiphany is, I forgot to build one with me. Yeah. 
well, and, and as a result, we got a, a book <laughs> that launches in October. Yeah. And um, how do how do people learn more about it, Bill, and more about you and and follow you and all those things? Well, so what I've done is I've created a little PDF that you can put with this podcast for you. I'll send it to you after this. Just uh, giving a quick overview and a couple of tips for them. They can follow me on LinkedIn, Bill Howitt on LinkedIn, and they can follow. We have started a news, newsletter uh, from Workplace Mental Health where I'm teaching each week on ideas. But if they go to BillHowitt.com, they can, they, I have a website for my speaking site that has all my books. We're doing some, I'm pretty excited, where I'm only doing limited, like five of each of these, what I'm about to tell you, but we're doing a a no regret series where I'm doing a keynote for organizations and with books. So that's filling up pretty quickly. And then we're doing another program on no regrets that, that we're trying to help people, David. Um, we've created a trilogy, how we're taking the three books together and we've created a new assessment tool. I can share with you. If you go to my website and see it where you can quickly do an assessment. If you're feeling that things in life aren't going the way you want is, is it fear that may be holding you back? Is it relationships that are holding you back? And it's regret. And it's a program to try to educate folks on how they can start taking one step and one thought at a time to move towards uh, where they want to be. Understanding that all of this, you actually need to do something. Like that's the hard part about a human being. You can get all the information you want. You can Google it, YouTube it. You can do all this stuff. We actually still need to do something to create habits and I'll say this to you, Dave, I think this is a part two that's important, is to realize that failing is required for learning. And if we can fail fast and learn slow, we're probably on the right track. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's, you get, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of good stuff coming in. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Enjoy as, as always, Bill. Um, I my, my one of my favorite stories, Emily, of uh, Bill is uh, I contacted him like on a on a Sunday for something. I can't remember <laughs> that. And, you know, you know, start to but, you know, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, I'm doing some work on on procrastination because I realized that you know he's talking with a client and I, you know and he was developing some scale. I can't remember what it was, but I was saying, what are you doing <laughs> sitting on the deck? <laughs> I was like, what a slacker. <laughs> you know? So the point is, uh, uh, you get a lot of passion out of sharing information, learning, all those sorts of things. And, and I, I just think that's a wonderful quality you have. And we benefit from it. So thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so happy you got to meet Emily and Emily got to meet you. That's um, we, you know, For listeners, they know how to find your information. Uh, um, and what takeaways for you, Emily? Oh, takeaways. Um, it's, it's a, there's, there's a lot. Uh, I will sum it up by just how important it is for us to each get to get to know ourselves. Mm. And, um, and that we can kind of, I think, overestimate how well we know ourselves and that we're constantly changing. And so it is a constant journey of just spending time with us um 
so that we yeah, can just show up fully present authentically for other people. It's like we speak so much about like authenticity, um, but really when it comes down to it, what is that about? And are you doing the work. It's like, I see, you know, the, the football helmet behind you, Dr. Bill, and it could be somebody saying like, okay, I want to play in the NFL. It's like, all right, well, what are you doing? And the same as people saying like, I want to improve my mental health. Okay. Well, what are you doing? And are you putting as equal time into your mental health as you are your physical health? Are you putting equal time into your relationship with yourself versus your relationship with your partner? And, um, yeah, lots to sit back and reflect on in that. Cool, thanks. That's, um, and I, for me, I mean, it's funny. I should never let Emily go first about takeaways because I'm like, oh, great, now what do I got to come? <laughs> you can repeat. <laughs> we can, I'm not competing with you, am I? Um, uh, no. But, so I would add on to that a piece um, that I. It's just a good reminder about those social connections, and and actually, I'm very. You know, and I'm just reflecting on how fortunate I was through a pandemic where, you know, I have a, a loving partner, supportive partner, you know, a perfect marriage, but it's a very good marriage. And, and I was with my kids. And, you know, in a way that was making things a lot easier. And I, you know, I'm just hearing your story of being, you know, the isolation. It's like, yeah, that's, you know, you got, I, I, I got to continue to do the work. And I, there's, a, there's a, a birthday coming up that, uh, that I've, I'm planning for. <laughs> It's like yes, do that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's so just a reminder of that. And, and uh, but people to check Bill's stuff out. We've got a lot of books, and um, we do a lot of speaking these days, and yeah. get a chance to interact with him. Um, it'll it'll be meaningful and impactful. And uh, we have to to uh, do the what do we call it? Like that exit stuff it's all the good stuff of where they can find okay, us okay, so uh luckily enough for us uh as dave mentioned at the start dr bill did a series with us around psychological safety um we had a lot of really interesting conversation very very cool guests some well-named well-known guests um uh across all of them and you can find all of those on our website boilingpointpodcast.com we'll link to them on this episode when we launch as well um you can also find everything about us on our social media accounts so on facebook twitter and linkedin uh you can listen to any of the episodes on your favorite podcast plan channels uh and you can also watch the videos on uh facebook and youtube amen okay thanks everyone thanks bill Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Boiling Point Podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. To find out more, head to our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. To find out more about Dave Vale's work, head over to visioncoachinginc.com. Thanks for listening and make sure to check out our next conversation. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.